Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, June 16th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Europe's unemployment numbers are up because of the coronavirus pandemic. I'll take a look at one population group that's been hit especially hard. And the FT's Angela Raval will explain how the pandemic might cause oil companies to pivot toward a clean energy strategy more quickly. But first, the U.S. Supreme Court made a landmark anti-discrimination decision for gay and transgender workers yesterday. The FT's Kadam Schubert will explain what this means for companies and workers around America. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. So the decision regards the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which prohibited workplace discrimination on the basis of a number of protected characteristics, you know, including sex. This decision says that prohibition on sex discrimination includes prohibiting against, uh, includes discriminating against people because they're gay or because they're transgender. Now, for for large companies, obviously. This adds protections for gay and transgender people who work for large companies. But in recent years, you have seen, you know, big business move in this direction in any case and try to do more to at least appear like they, you know, offer sort of safe and so safe environments for gay and transgender workers. Where you may see more of a practical shift in the immediate is among smaller businesses Um, So, you know, the three cases that resulted in this ruling, one of them involved sort of a local county government employee, and then two others regarded sort of employees of small local businesses. That's where you might see this ruling offering really important protections to, you know, workers at businesses where perhaps the culture or at least the purported uh, values of the company are not sort of pro-LGBTQ as as you sort of see in larger corporate America. And we should note that companies with fewer than 15 employees are not covered by this decision on Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. Now, the split in this decision was six to three, meaning six justices said yes, the 1964 Civil Rights Act also applied to gay and transgender people, and three said no, it did not. Kadam, why is the split significant? An interesting thing about this decision is that two conservative justices were in the majority. For a long time, there's been a conservative project in the U.S. to ensure that judges whose views they approve of, who interpret the law that they want to be interpreted, are in place across the judiciary. And under Donald Trump, they have been able to put two justices on the Supreme Court, Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh, and really cement a conservative majority there. This case, which maybe most conservatives wanted to see go the other way, suggests that despite the U.S. right has had in you know, appointing justices across the U.S. judiciary on social issues, perhaps that is not leading to the results that they want to see. Kenham, we're, we're in a moment where there are protests for equality. And the protests primarily focus on police brutality and black Americans, while the case we're talking about is about LGBTQ workers. But it all feels like it's all reflective of a bigger movement. Do these things tell you anything about the direction of the country as a whole right now? I think it tells you something about LGBTQ rights in particular. It was only five years ago or so that we saw the U.S. Supreme Court legalize same-sex marriage. 
And even now with a, you know, a court that has a different composition that is considered to be more to the right than the court five years ago, um, we're seeing a continuation of the strengthening of LGBTQ rights. I'm not sure that you can draw conclusions beyond that. So, for example, also on Monday, the Supreme Court declined to hear cases about qualified immunity, which protects police officers from lawsuits in the course of their work. For lots of the people who have been protesting since the killing of George Floyd, abolishing qualified immunity has been one of their you know, key aims. And the Supreme Court has declined so far to do that. So at the same time as they are expanding LGBTQ rights, um, they're also declining to hear cases that Black Lives Matter protesters and activists see as extremely important on the question of qualified immunity for police. COVID-19 unemployment is on the rise in Europe, especially when it comes to younger people. In April, 159,000 people between the ages of 15 and 24 in the EU became unemployed. That was 40% of all job losses across the bloc. A big reason for this is that companies have stopped hiring. A senior partner at consulting group BCG in Dusseldorf said that many companies have frozen recruitment and are only filling vacant positions internally. The worst-hit countries for young people in the EU were Spain, Greece, France, and Italy. These are countries where youth unemployment was already well above the EU average. To make matters worse, these countries have a higher proportion of temporary or short-term jobs, and their economies are more reliant on harder-hit sectors, such as tourism. The European Central Bank forecasts this month that under a severe scenario, total unemployment, not just youth, would rise to an all-time high of 12.5% next year. That's about 7 million job losses. Last week, BP said it would be cutting 10,000 jobs. And then yesterday, the British oil major said it was cutting its long-term oil price forecast and is primed to slash up to $17.5 billion from the value of its assets as a result. These moves mark a big moment, not just for BP, but also for the oil industry as a whole. It's a signal that these companies are ready to take the pursuit of green energy seriously. And this ties into the pandemic. BP said coronavirus would have a lasting impact on the global economy, as well as on oil and gas demand. The company expects the crisis to speed up the transition away from fossil fuels. Our senior energy correspondent, Anjali Raval, has more. It is the first real recognition of this concept of stranded assets, which is something that, you know, Mark Carney, uh, former governor of the Bank of England, and big investor groups, and of course, environmental activists have been talking about for years. And now we are finally starting to see these companies make statements that essentially where this bears out. The thing is that we might actually see oil prices rise. They could even rise above these levels that they've stated as their long oil price assumptions. But what they've essentially done is just secure their future and they've kind of secured their sort of base case scenario. If they can just be financially secure in a world where they don't assume that oil prices will rise much above $55 a barrel, let's say, for Brent crude, if they do, it's just an additional bonus. Now, is this just BP thinking this way or are other big oil companies 
focusing on clean energy too? And, and if they're not, will they follow in BP's footsteps? So there was a question, which is that are we going to start seeing more impairments and more asset write-downs as companies reevaluate longer-term energy price assumptions, particularly with one view on the energy transition? And there seems to be a real split between the European majors and their US rivals and how they go about doing this and what they believe these long-term prices will end up being. The European majors increasingly are starting to look more and more similar. They're pursuing gas as well as oil. They're also looking at becoming, to some extent, utilities and providing power and everything from electric vehicle charging to smart meters in homes and all this sort of stuff. Now, BP hasn't quite gone that far, but we believe that they are going to start investing more in renewable power. Now, I say all of this, but the reality still is that BP and Royal Dutch Shell and Total and all the others are still going to be making the bulk of their cash from fossil fuels. So how do they have these ambitions to become net zero companies in the coming decades while still producing all the fossil fuels environmental activists do not like and increasingly investors do not like. And what do some of those strategies look like? You've mentioned some of them, but um, are there any uh, bolder ones, that more eye-catching ones that you think deserve attention? So a whole string of things that these companies have said. I mean, the main thing is to take accountability for their own emissions. Now, emissions are split into different categories. You've got the emissions that come from just the production of oil and gas. And then you've got emissions from, let's say, the electricity that is generated to power some oil and gas facilities. And there's a sort of a third element, which is the consumer burning fuels produced by a BP or a Shell or Total or any of these companies. Now, there is a question over which bit of this do you take responsibility for? Until now, companies had really tried to stay away from that third component. BP's former CEO would say, you cannot control what somebody chooses to put into their car. But now you can start to see the tide changing. You can start to see companies saying, actually, we do need to take responsibility for these types of emissions too. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.